Welcome to AB3 Speaks with Monica Antakia, the podcast on academic business and branding, where we talk about planning, building, running, and growing a business as Black academic women who want to share their knowledge with the world. I'm Takia Nur Amin, academic success strategist, dance scholar, and lover of all things luxury. I'm Monica A. Coleman, professor, religious leader, and mom to an active growing kid. We have over 25 years combined experience of sharing our academic knowledge beyond the classroom, and we're telling you all the things we wish someone had told us. We will share our values-led ways of monetizing your advanced education in today's global marketplace and highlight Black academic women who are doing this with excellence and flair. So stay hydrated. Make sure you have something to write on and write with because class is in session. On the syllabus today is Why Academics Need Something Different, Part 2. I'm a strong believer, and this is something that we talk about in AB3 quite a bit, is that in order to do anything well, you need accountability and support. It doesn't really matter what it is, whether it's parenting or trying to run a marathon or landing a dream job, you need accountability and support to hold you, sustain, and support you as you move towards the achievement of that outcome. I think that often we have big dreams, but our big dreams can just stay as ideas in our heads and hearts without having people around us to encourage us and challenge us to breathe life into those dreams. And so when we think about why academics need something different, um, this just gets to the fact that We're still human beings and all of us want the cheers experience, right? All of us want to be in a place where everybody knows our name, where we are with other people who recognize our dreams and our aspirations because they're similar to the dreams and aspirations that they hold. And these are people who we respect because we have similar academic backgrounds, similar professional trajectories, and we also have these entrepreneurial dreams. I think it's important to be in community with people who you are willing to learn from, who you are willing to listen to. And I find that for a lot of my academic colleagues, um, we are happy and perhaps happiest when we are with the other nerds, when we're with the other brainiacs, when we're with the other people who have made similar sacrifices in terms of their education and lifestyle in order to carve out these lives in higher education as their chosen industry. It's nice to be in a place where you don't have to explain why you made that choice to spend all that extra time in school, right? It's nice to be in a place where you don't have to justify the particular choices you've made or sacrifices you made when you were trying to reach a particular professional threshold. And it's important for us to have community where we don't have to spend time justifying or explaining or clarifying the big and small decisions we've made to create and sustain our academic profiles and professional trajectories. We need community too. And it's critical that we have people around us who can reflect not only our current experiences, but who we would be comfortable enough and respect enough to be challenged by, to be encouraged by, and to work collaboratively with in order to breathe life into the fulfillment of our entrepreneurial dreams. So, you know, academics need something different because our industry is different, our sacrifices are different, 
Our lifestyles are not necessarily the norm for people outside of our chosen industry. And we need to be in places with people who both understand that, who are attentive to that, and who will also support us and challenges, challenge us to move beyond that. We need to be with people who will support us and challenge us to move beyond where we are today so that we can continue building our businesses and really living out our entrepreneurial dreams. And you know, as a kind of corollary to that, it's this reminder that academic life can be isolating. You know, most of us have self-selected into the academy in some way because we like to work alone or because we can work alone. You know, it's the kind of field where, for the most part, no one's standing over you with micromanagement, like I said, for the most part, (laughs) or, you know, checking in on you every week or every month to see if you did what you said you were going to do. It's like, here's a class. You figure out how to teach it. Go forth. Teach it. We'll check back in maybe seven months later or six months later or four months later. Or it might be, at least in my field, in the humanities, you know, you have to write X number of publications to get to tenure and no one's checking in on you, even though people usually try in a mentoring kind of process. It's not like the system is built to say, hey, how you doing? It's like, well, it's been seven years. Did you do it or did you not do it? (laughs) Right. And ultimately, particularly, I think, in social sciences and humanities, At some point, it's just you alone, but in chair, typing out whatever it is you're supposed to write or publish or produce. And so there is a good amount, I think, of solitude that can be part of the academic life. I think even for those who work, you know, officially more collaboratively, like in labs or you co-author, there's still this hierarchy, right? I've looked at enough CVs to know that, well, who's the lead author? Whose name is in position one or position two in this list of four names or this list of 10 names. And that positionality is supposed to say something about where you fall in that project and the strength of your academic work. And so I think that academic life can be actually both isolating and sometimes competitive. Like, how do I get to that first author spot? Uh, Is there somebody else who's, I'm I'm competing for this lab, there are limited resources. I'm applying to get in this one, not that one. I'm applying to get this many people to work in this space with me and not this many others. And we're really trying to do something a little bit different in AB3. We really want to say, what does it mean, first of all, to break out of isolation? Because there is a certain amount, of course, that you might be doing yourself, particularly if you are a solopreneur, but it's very hard to do ideas by yourself. It's very hard to brainstorm by yourself. You can tell when students are banging out that paper at the last minute and turning it in and they haven't talked with anybody else about it because sometimes it's sloppy. Sometimes they just miss things. And I try to remind them that that's not really how scholarship happens. This is why we go to conferences and present ideas. We're not just trying to build our CV. We're getting feedback. We're hearing what other people from a different perspective might think about or ask that we might have missed, that we really do think in community and come up with ideas in community. And they're better and stronger that way, even when at some point you're working alone. And so what we're trying to do in AB3, and I think we actually get to accomplish, is to be able to work collaboratively and as peers in many ways, as coaches to each other. There's some things that Takia is strong in that I don't know as much about, or I haven't worked in that area as much and vice versa. We've got some people who have been really great at creating digital communities 
and online communities, and they would be really helpful to someone else who's like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do I have to do? And that can be anywhere from the here's what I'm thinking about it to here's the tech you might use and how I've tried to do it and what I think works, what I think doesn't work. And it can be very difficult to just find the people to have those conversations with. And for many of us, this is not a conversation we want to have in the hallway, in our job spaces, mainly because it might be a separate thing from what we're doing in our job. We don't know how others are going to think about it. There might not be anyone else doing some of the same things that we're doing. We have to reach across some time and space. You you need to be around other people who might be in a different state, a different discipline, a different university than we are most of the time. And it's this odd thing about academia. It can, it's the reason I call it an ivory tower, right? It's this tower that stands by itself a lot of times and in some ways takes a little pride in being isolating. And we think it's important that we have to be intentional about breaking out of that model, out of that hierarchical model, out of the competitive model, out of the isolating model and do our businesses a little bit different and be able to come up with our ideas differently. And commune with each other in ways that are collaborative and celebrate that and feel rewarded because we've done that. Because then you go back to what Takia was saying, you can get that cheers feeling like, hey, I'm rooting for you. Let me know how it goes. Check back in. Or, well, you know, that idea flopped. Maybe let's try this, right? Let's try something else. And we are able to do that in a space that would be considered supportive. I think the other thing that I find particular to Black academic women and definitely academic women of color is that we are often in caretaking roles and caregiving roles in ways that might not be comparable to others outside of the field. And I would even say to to male identified persons in our fields as well. And what I mean by that is so often when we make money, it's not just our money. <laughs> this money is going to support somebody else. It's going to support somebody back home, wherever home might be. You might be raising a child you didn't birth. You might be raising children you did birth or adopt. You might be caring for elders or other people in your family. It's so often our incomes are not only supporting us solely. And a lot of this is very much a cultural value, but also if you're the one who made it, right, for however that turned out, if you're that first gen person, the one who has the most education, which people assume is the most income, although we know that's not always the case, there's this sense that you're going to help support others. And for many of us, we want to do that, right? There's this desire to support others. And so one, for those reasons, we might need some more money. We might need more coins, you might say, than if we were only supporting ourselves. And for many of us, this business endeavor allows us not just to share our knowledge with the world and live out our dreams, but also to have more income, not just for ourselves, but for other people we care about and for other causes that we care about. As you know, statistics show that when women have more money, literally the world becomes a better place because of the ways in which we spend money and use money and who we support and the causes that we support with the money we have. And I think that for academics, our schedules look flexible from the outside. Our schedules look like we have a lot of time. And so the expectations of the kind of time we'll spend with caregiving can be different than those outside. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because you're listening on a podcast. But if we were in person, I would say, how many people have heard somebody you know or love say, y'all don't work in the summers? Wait, <laughs> all you have to do is 
teach X number of hours a week. There's this idea, a very common idea, I think, that when we're not in the classroom or in the office, there's nothing else we have to do. And we all know that's really not the case, right? That we could be grading at any time of the day, at any time of the night, and usually any place. We could be writing, we could be researching, that there's more to it. And our schedules might be flexible, but it doesn't mean that we have less things to do in that time than somebody who isn't working a nine to five. But I think that because there's an appearance of flexibility, uh, an appearance of you're not working as much, then the expectation that you spend time caregiving for others can be higher. And I say this, and this is a pretty public story of mine. You know, I have been a caregiver to both elder care and a young child at the same time. And not because anyone made me, not because it was particularly expected. It was something I wanted to do. And it was a deep joy and a deep honor and also time consuming and difficult at the same time. And Having the capacity for a variety of reasons to be able to hire help when needed is really important because we're finite beings. And I was able to do that in part, right, because I had a business outside of the income. There are also times when we live in expensive cities or we have expenses that are just higher than what your income alone can cover. We know that the average academic income probably doesn't cover everything you needed to cover if you're living in a very expensive city, that our salaries have not increased with inflation. I'm always talking about the cost of a red bell pepper being like $3.49. I'm like, why is one red pepper $3.49? Really? And if it weren't winter, I'd grow that damn thing in my backyard, right? But inflation has gone up significantly. Expenses have gone up. And most of our salaries are not going up that much, even if we get cost of living raises. And so we do have things that are going to cost, whether it's regular everyday living or other costs we might have that allow us to do this. And this is a time when the flexibility of being an academic can be helpful because it might give you the chance to think about, well, how do I work this in without giving up this job that has benefits and some other things that I like to do? And so we think that that's something that academics might be balancing and particularly Black academic women might be balancing and considering in different ways than some of our colleagues who are not in these fields. One of the special things about AB3 is that we get to be, as women of color academics generally and Black academic women in particular, at the center of our own concerns. I don't see in the online business space many places that are specifically centering the needs of not just women of color, not just Black women, but Black women at the intersection of um, entrepreneurship and those of us who have careers in higher education. Our specific needs around everything from credibility to conflict of interest are different and unique. We need a place that is sensitive to both the industry we are in and to our entrepreneurial aspirations. Being together and being in community is a strength. It's not a deficit. And I think for those of you who are listening, um, think about your own families. You know, Think about the women in your own families and their own entrepreneurial pursuits. Many of us as women of color come from communities where we might've had moms or aunties 
or sisters or even ourselves who were the ones who sold the dinners in the basement of the church or who were the ones with the Avon business or the Mary Kay catalog or who always knew how to stretch a dollar or make a few bucks as needed. Um, that's all a part of our entrepreneurial heritage. Okay. I don't, I don't see those things as um, less than, or as something for us to, to be ashamed of. When you look across the diaspora, you will see women of color in the marketplace. We are the ones who are selling food, who are selling fabric, who are organizing, who are really at the forefront of global economies in a big way. And um, it's clear that if hard work ruled the world, women of color would have a lot more money than we do right now. So I think it's important for us to kind of stretch ourselves to our full height and take up space in this community that we've carved out for ourselves of women of color academics, Black academic women who are also committed to developing and growing as entrepreneurs and see that not just as an individual pursuit, but as another chapter in the long line of our shared histories of women who have built businesses and in so doing facilitated their own independence, contributed to the health of their communities, sustain the life and well-being of their families. I mean, this is our opportunity to do that. It's our opportunity to thrive and to shine. And I don't see other spaces um, sharing that invitation perhaps as loudly as I'd like to. So we're being out and loud and proud about the Academic Business and Branding Brain Trust. We are excited about this community that we've built and we want to share it with you. We built it for you and with our needs and interests at the center. Um, instead of being frustrated about what others wouldn't create, we simply decided to drive this car from the front and build it for ourselves. So Monica and I hope you will join us in AB3. Because when we say we want you to win, we really mean it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of AB3 Speaks with Monica and Takia. We do this podcast because we want to serve and support Black academic women's entrepreneurial dreams. So subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. We read every one and this will help others to find the show. If you're looking to take the next step in your career, go to blackademicbraintrust.com where you can join our amazing community and get our free resource on the 12 questions you should ask yourself before becoming a Black academic entrepreneur. Our mission is to nurture your entrepreneurial dreams within and beyond the academy and build a business that both sustains and offers you freedom. We look forward to you finding and joining us at blackademicbraintrust.com. Because we want you to win. Thank you.